I'm super excited about this evening. Um, and uh, I'm going to be sharing some very personal stuff with you. And um, some of you know some of my sort of recent personal circumstances. And if you don't, you'll become aware of them a bit while I'm, I'm speaking. Um, but this is me following on from the sermon that I uh, preached Sunday morning last week. So I expect, hopefully, most of you have heard it. I won't, won't go for a show of hands because that could be embarrassing for you. If you've not listened to it yet, then you need to. It was superb, all right? So <laughs> it was a goodie. It was, it, um, no, I actually, as I was preparing it, I knew actually it was, it was, it was a really important message. Um, because God had done something in me and, and, and helped me understand something that made sense of, of what we're going through. Um, and uh, just, a, just a, a quickie, basically at the beginning of, the, well, right at the end of last year, the beginning of this year, um, God spoke to me, which I then put in front of the church. And he, he gave us a plan for 2020. And this was the plan, don't make plans. It was, that's what he told me. It was really weird between Christmas and New Year. I spent that week basically with plenty of time with God, reviewing the year, celebrating, thinking, and then getting ready for the next year. What's, 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 what's coming up? I've done that for so many years. You know, being my personal discipline, but also as a church leader, it's important so actually you can say, hey, folks, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. Everybody ready? Yeah. And it's, so when God said, don't make any, any plans, I thought, that's not much of a sermon in that. That's not very, it's not very exciting, you know, it, uh, uh, and I don't know how to, uh, I don't know how not to make plans. Now, everybody, we all make plans, so it's not that you scrap life, and, but um, basically, so I was confused about it, because uh, you don't want me to stop working, do you? Because that's the, uh, but he said something, and this is really important, because he, he didn't say, <clears throat> because there's something going to come along, and it's going to muck all your plans up. He didn't say that. He didn't say that because that COVID thing, you watch out. It's just going to muck any plans you, any plans you got, it's going to muck them up. Now, that has been my experience this year. Many of my plans I've made have been mucked up by coronavirus. But that wasn't God, wasn't God telling me that to save me that grief. He basically said, because any plans you make will be too small. So I, I was revisiting that in the last month or so. I think, okay. Hold on, because a lot of people have been trying to think, well, what is God saying at the moment? Well, my, my, my recommendation to you is best to go back and to find out what, he, what he'd already said. And we've got the Graham Cook prophecy, but he already told us, actually, not to make plans because whatever we did plan would be too small. Now, <clears throat> that means to me that I need to get ready for something really big. Yeah? And basically, the, the, the gist of the, the sermon last Sunday was, was that... The, that God is taking us on a training program to get us ready for the big thing that we wouldn't have planned for. Okay? If God's got something big planned for us, he's not going to leave us unprepared for it. He, he doesn't do that. He's a good teacher, he, and he's a good trainer, and that's, that's what it means. And In Hebrews 12, it talks about he disciplines us, which actually means to be, he, he takes us under a training program. And that's part of being a, a child of God. If you're, if you're a child of God, he will discipline you. Now, discipline is, it comes from the word disciple, to be taught and trained. So actually, this is, so when I, once I started to process this, I think, man, this has been quite a long training program. 
Too long for most of you? Certainly frowned down here, haven't you? Al's pulling his hair out. Still got some left, haven't you? Al's a big extrovert, a bit like me, aren't you? So being not able to see people doesn't do him any good. And I guess there's other people like that. And even if you're introvert, I think you probably had enough of this. No, in some sense. But, but God's timing is always perfect. He talks about his, 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 his ways are good, pleasing, and perfect. I'm waiting for the pleasing bit. I'm trusting in the good bit. <laughs> but I do believe they're perfect. But actually in Hebrews 12 it says, if you allow yourself to be trained, for those who are trained by it, and, and then later on you get the harvest of righteousness and peace, which is... Okay? Now righteousness is the full standing of God. We are partakers of the divine nature. And I believe God wants to, to do something on planet Earth uh, that will be of such an extent that he will just take all this nonsense that's going on, well, it's not nonsense in one sense, but all this chaos that's going on, and create an extraordinary thing out of it because he works all things for good. And his plans won't be thwarted. And um, without going into, into great details, I then went on to review... Yeah, with that, some of the things that have happened uh, to myself and Kim over the last decade, in particular, um, 30, 40 years in reality. I know what God called me to do when I was uh, a young man, and then I know some of the things he's very specifically called us to do here at Eastgate. And, um, and part of it is tied up with a, um, a, <coughs> a prophecy that was given in the 1970s by... Um, Bob Jones, about the harvest of a billion souls. Um, and there was, there was a reinforcing of that prophecy with a specific um, action come out of it that was actually came in 1991. Um, and uh, if anybody, for those of you who don't know who Bob Jones is, he still is, but he's not here on earth, he's up in heaven, but... Um, uh, he was an extraordinary prophet um, and um, had an interaction with God um, that was beyond my understanding. I actually had the privilege of meeting him and, um, and, and <laughs> chatting with him in 2009. And I'm, I'm thinking, I don't think I quite understand what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had this extra- <laughs> Basically, in 1991, <clears throat> a friend of his died. And um, uh, um, Bob Jones went to the hospital where this guy died to pray for him to be raised from the dead. And uh, this, is, this is the story, as I've heard it firsthand, was that um, this guy, who was a Christian, uh, was in heaven and enjoying heaven. And God came up to him and said, uh, your friend Bob Jones is, is praying for you to go back. And the guy said, well, I don't want to go back. I'm very happy up here. Thanks very much. <laughs> Seriously, he said, do you want to go? Do you want to go? Do you... Not interested in going back. And God said to him, actually, you've got to go back. And I'm sending you back. And you're to take this message with you, <clears throat> that Bob Jones is to find a church in Northern California which will release 1,000 young eagles, which will be part of the harvest of a billion souls. Anyway, this guy was raised from the dead, came back. 
and gives this message. Now, now would you, I think I'd be taking that quite seriously if I'd go, just come back. And he didn't want to come back. He really didn't. And Bob Jones went on to say that they, this guy, they tried to give him the best food, nicest places. He was not one jot or tittle interested in heavenly reality, in earthly reality. He was so taken up by what he'd experienced in heaven. He said, forget it, I, I just want to go back. And what, interestingly enough, this guy actually went back to the hospital where he had died previously a month later, and he walked through the door and he died again. And you're off. Boom. Done. Job done. Message given. <laughs> and cutting long story short is that I got to interact with Bob Jones. Kim and I did, and we're in Bethel in 2009 when the, the fulfillment of this prophecy came about because the Bethel Church was the one that was found in Northern California and when we were there, Kim and I, for the three months they were actually graduating 972 students that year and they got Bob Jones to come back to tell this story to the whole student body in the, in the Bethel Church and we were there to witness it and then we got caught up in it I won't go into more detail, but, but. so <clears throat> that's one of the reasons Eastgate is what it is. It's a beachhead for freedom. It's here to proclaim the gospel of, of King Jesus, but it's here to actually help train and equip people so that a harvest will be had. The reason we started our, our daytime school, our supernatural school now, we now call it School of Spiritual Life, was as a result of what we'd experienced there and God told us to start it, to train people. Julie, you were one of our first students, as was Joel, weren't you? Julie used to come down every week from Wakefield. Coach overnight, wasn't it? Coach overnight, eight hours or something like that. Get down here for Thursday morning, leave Friday, get home Friday night, leave here Friday night, get, get home Saturday morning. Was it worth it? <laughs> and I'll tell you why it was worth it it wasn't because we were that made it's because God is worth it God was on something and he's doing something so when I, when I hear that he's got plans that I've not yet imagined of I've been imagining quite a lot you know we've achieved a lot in 10 years You know, God placed us at the east gate to the city. I thought that was big. Well, we got used to some big plans. Transformation center, well done. Then. Okay, yeah. How many people have you got? We went to thousands and thousands of people you've helped, haven't you? Does a fantastic job, Kate, over there. Kate Mendez. That is a phenomenal thing that's been developed here in Eastgate. Healing center, sitting alongside the National Health Service. Phenomenal, isn't it? Well done, Helen. Looking after that. Uh, healing centre now has been receiving um, using Zoom now Zoom calls I'm not going to say Skype but from people in hospital have been calling in to the healing centre <laughs> these, these are good things these are big things so when God says any plans you've got are going to be too small I'm thinking yikes So, <clears throat> so I want to ask you a question. 
right now. So it's, <coughs> it's a very simple question, but it's a very profound question. And it's a question that actually uh, changed my life. The question is, what does it mean to say, I am a Christian? Okay. Four words. I am a Christian. What does that mean? I know what it means to think. What does it mean to you in practice? <clears throat> now, the reason this was an important question to me was um, I was brought up in a, an extraordinary environment. And one of the things I'm going to talk about is actually I'm going to talk about my dad because my dad died on the 1st of September uh, just a few weeks ago. And it was his funeral last Tuesday. Um, and uh, and I was I was very fortunate in the upbringing I had. I was brought up with with unconditional love and grace and kindness and and generosity and enabling and pursuing of dreams. And it was extraordinary. My parents were amazing people because they actually both came from very difficult backgrounds. Um, my mum actually had a very poor upbringing, um, and I mean really poor. So she she. Uh, <clears throat> She did not live in a place with a, an interior toilet until she was married. And no bathroom. <clears throat> My dad's parents were divorced when he was about five. And he was shunted around the family a bit. And then they both lived through the Second World War. Uh, and their education was completely disrupted by that. <clears throat> um, but... When they met and fell in love, they, they decided that they <clears throat> wanted to create something new. And they both had something in common as well, that they, they, they really had a hatred of religion. My mum was brought up as a Roman Catholic, and my dad was brought up in the Anglican. Thing, but both had experienced uh, guilt, shame, fear, stuff through, through, through religion, and chose to reject it. And I'm really grateful Really grateful because I, I was brought up in a non-religious environment, completely, deliberately non-religious. So didn't go to church. Um, I, remember, <laughs> I remember going to church <clears throat> when I was about five. That's the first time I remember going to church, about one of the few times I remember in, in that sense. Apart from when I became a Boy Scout, I had to go once a month for church parade, which was dreadful beyond belief. It was <laughs> the, the most boring hour of the month I could, you could ever think of. It. It was, I'm not sure you could have made it more boring if you designed it to be boring, but it was... It was yeah. <laughs> anyway, but I remember going to church building when I was um, five because my sister was in the brownies and she had something going on in the, the church. And, um, and I, I... We just did I didn't know. I, no prayer, no nothing. <laughs> so so uh, it was really interesting. But what I did know, that, that I got two things about Jesus, Christmas and Easter... Got that bit. So I thought, well, I like Christmas and I like Easter. So I should like Jesus. And also what I knew was he was supposed to live in those big buildings. That's what I, you know, somehow, somehow those big buildings, he was there. So, 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 so that was, that was my, my, my understanding as a five-year-old. So, so as this five-year-old, my mum took me to this thing. Um, now my dad... You wouldn't get him in the church. No way. Not interested in it. But mum used to go because supporting my sister's church parade and this and the other. And decided, I don't know why she decided I needed to go, but I obviously 
from my education. I'm a five-year-old. So we get in to the church building, and this, <laughs> and uh, it, it one of the big, you know, it was big, tall, lots of pews, you know, and for a five-year-old, it kind of uh, a bit overwhelming, intimidating, because I've never been in one of these things before. I thought, oh wow, this is what one of these looks like, um, and there's a lot of people in there. I thought, wow, and then you get to sit on this really hard chair, <laughs> and <clears throat> so then I think, and then I start looking around, thinking, I wonder where Jesus is. And I'm, I'm really quite excited about meeting Jesus in this place because Christmas and Easter. So chocolate presents, what's not to like? And <laughs> it was really funny. So, and, um, so I started to ask my mum, where's Jesus? So I'm saying to mum, where's Jesus? He says, shh, shh. I said, no, no, I want to know where Jesus is. No, I want to know where Jesus is. Well, with this, all the, all the heads are turning around. Not because they want to answer my question, but they just want me to shut up. I thought, oh, we obviously don't live here. That was it. That was my conclusion as a five-year-old. Well, you obviously don't live here because nobody can introduce me to him. And then I had to do boring church pray, and I thought, well, I'm, you're definitely not here. <laughs> And I thought, I don't know whether he really is. Does he exist or what? Anyway, anyway, I've just passed it out of my brain and carried on with life. And as I say, I was very fortunate with the life that I had. But at the age of 16, um, I was, my sister became a Christian. Uh, she's four years older than me. She became a Christian when she was about uh, 16. And what was really weird because she was really lively, and neither of us used to go to church except for church break, but she started to go to church twice on a Sunday. Now that is, you have to think, this was odd. Once a month was, was dreadful. Once a week would have been twice in one day, I couldn't imagine. I, seriously, I thought, she's lost it, she's lost it. She's lost it, she's lost it somehow, and... She really lost it. Uh, but what was interesting was she became more alive than she'd been before. Well, something strange going on here. I really didn't understand. And, and I wasn't interested either. It's not as if I was interested. I, just, I, was, I was observing. And then I had to... She went to university. Um, and I used to go and visit her. Sometimes stayed up there for weekends. Um, and she had a... <coughs> Her Christian friends who were all normal. <laughs> Which was, yeah, weird. They were normal. And, um, <clears throat> and they used to go off to, to, to church on a, on a Sunday morning. Um, but, but there's one guy, he, he didn't. He, and this is, he used to stay behind with me and we used to play table tennis and squash. He was a really good sportsman. Um, and, that was, and then he used to take me to the student's bar, which I thought, and buy me a Coke. <laughs> and I was just impressed by this guy and I was impressed I thought, and I thought you know what somehow I, I've never seen this before but they've got something I haven't got I don't know what it is but they had and, and you know, my, my sister shared the same upbringing as me and I thought she's got something and I have no idea what it is and I'm not sure I want it anyway but I couldn't deny she got something it was really interesting and uh, they never pressurised me to go to church. I think she knew I wouldn't go. 
Um, and then one day when I was, I was staying up there for a long weekend, it was actually a, a bank holiday weekend, and uh, my sister said, hey, Pete, would you like to come with us to the church meeting tonight? Uh, it's a baptism service. I thought, I don't know what one of those is. And I, I actually took, I said, okay, I'll come along. Um, so I go along, and again, this whacking great building, about 600 people in it. Oh, wow, there are a lot of people here. And it was a Baptist church. And I think, well, this would be interesting. This baptism, I've no idea what baptism was. I, wasn't, I didn't read my Bible or anything. So I think, baptism, no idea what this is. <laughs> and it didn't help when all these people came parading out dressed in all these white gowns. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, oh, the, oh, whoa, okay. No, I know what she's up to. Oh, goodness. <laughs> it wasn't really what I think. Yikes. Sheesh, what are we doing here? Anyway, so I was slightly intrigued, but I was somewhat put off. Um, and then I was sitting there, and <clears throat> the guy got up to preach, and there were 600 people in this auditorium, big building. And uh, he said this question, because he was just following on page, he said, what does it mean to say I'm a Christian? Oh, well, that's a good question. I am a Christian. I don't know what it means, though. Because I was a Christian, because I was born in England, and I was a Boy Scout. Yeah, and I hadn't beat me granny up, and there were lots of things I hadn't done. You know, so I, I thought I qualified. I was, I was, yeah, and I was English. So, so, <laughs> so, so I thought, okay. I, so I was intrigued by the question. I had, I didn't know the answer, but I knew I was one. I don't know what one is, but I am one. What does it mean? I'm a Christian. And then he said, let me take you back. Now, I, I, at school, um, I studied Latin quite a lot for five years. And the only history I ever did, we never got past the Romans for some reason. Um, my history teaching was dire, but I knew the Romans backwards and forwards. I thought, well, that was, that was great. So I was quite interested in Rome. And uh, so this preacher said, let me take you back to Rome about AD 60. I said, oh, yeah, I can go there. I know I understand that place. He said, Okay, what would it mean in those days, and, and this, was, this is where the Latin came in useful because he used the Latin words, what would it mean to say these two words, Christianus sum, in AD 60 in Rome? That means what would it mean to say I'm a Christian? You know, he said, basically it means you get thrown to the lions. And I thought, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, not that keen. I'm quite happy to forego the Christian title now, if you don't mind. <laughs> and then I realised that I wasn't a Christian. That was the first time it struck me. I didn't realise you had to become one. And then this guy got to preach, and it was interesting. And this is the God thing, because you, you're born again of the Spirit, not just by preaching. So I was on my chair, sitting there, among 600 people, and as far as I was concerned, he was speaking to me, and I was the only one. And I would have got up under my chair and hidden away if I could. I, was, I was, did not know what to do with myself. And the conviction of God came upon me. And I suddenly understood what my sister had got that I hadn't got. Now, you've got to bear in mind, we had a really good life. Which I'm forever grateful to my parents for. Great upbringing. What I didn't have was something worth dying for.
I thought, my sister's got something that's worth dying for, and I haven't. It must be really precious what she's got. And that's when I resolved that I was willing to do the great exchange of my great life for a greater life, which is an eternal life. But I understood what it was to embrace unconditional love because I'd already experienced it. I understood what it was to live in grace because I'd lived in it. So what I'm trying to say is, is, is that and I used to think I had an absolute rubbish Christian testimony. Seriously, because basically what the books in those days were crossing the switchblade, <laughs> run baby run, chasing the dragon. So I, I realised if you want to have a decent Christian testimony that you could go out public with, you had to have, you either had to kill people with knives, you had to be on drugs. You had to have something. It was a seriously good testimony if you were seriously bad. You know, that was, and I wasn't. Not what I didn't think so. I, I know we're all bad. We're all sinners. So don't get me wrong. But I, <laughs> so I thought, so I, I, I really didn't think I had anything to say. It's funny because I thought, well, I, I've never beaten anybody up. I've never knifed anybody. And I've never done drugs. I haven't even smoked a fag. <laughs> By the way, I worked that out. That's just a stupid way of wasting your money. That's why I, I worked that out when I was about 13. Why would you do that? And it make you cough. I had asthma, so that's a stupid idea. So, anyway, so, but <clears throat> what? After a little while, I thought, hey, you know what? This is interesting because the good news of Christianity is the good news of Jesus Christ, and it's all about Him, not about how bad I am. It's about how good He is. And I thought, oh, this is the best testimony because it's not about me. It really is about Him. He is worth dying for. And he's still worth dying for. That's been the basis of my life since I was 16. Well, what would I do for Jesus? Pretty much anything. I haven't got a martyr complex, all right? <clears throat> but I was in my room, so in the room with my dad on the Saturday before he died, just a few, three days before he died, about the 20. 8th, 29th of August. <clears throat> and I looked around his room. <clears throat> and I thought, what, how do you sum up somebody's life? Because he had a few family pictures. He had a plaque on the wall because he was a member of the Lions Club for about more than 40 years. And he had a you know, long service record. And he had a Bible. I don't have the Bible with a sparkly bit in it. I've got my dad's Bible with me tonight. <clears throat> we'll come on to that. And I looked at him, and I was with my dad. Now, <clears throat> fast forward. See, my dad <clears throat> avoided religion, and he avoided church, and he had good reason to do so. So when my sister... And I became Christians. It was a bit of a shock. And my mum became a Christian. <clears throat> and then my sister and I both married Christians. All our kids became Christians. 
He resisted all that, and he resisted Billy Graham. <laughs> we got him to Billy Graham, bless him. <laughs> Wasn't interested. Oh, jeez, <laughs> oh, you are a tough nut to crack, you are. I was leading the people to Jesus. Here, they're everywhere. Was my dad interested? Nah. Not in the slightest. He wasn't difficult. He wasn't obstructive. He wasn't negative in any way. He never was. He was supportive in one sense, but, but interested? Not in the slightest. <clears throat> Until one Christmas, when I'd actually just gone part-time working as a GP to work for the church the other half of my life. And I think my dad realized that he was quite serious then to give up you know, part of your career in medicine to work for a church which he didn't like. He didn't dislike our church particularly, he just didn't like church. You know, so. And this, coming up, leaning to this Christmas, he said to me, Pete, <clears throat> um, your mum and I would like to stay an extra night. It was Christmas at our, our house, we'd like to stay an extra night. Could we stay over until the Sunday morning because I've never heard you preach and I should hear my son preach. Okay. I thought, Yikes. Now, I'd already prepared my Christmas sermons, this one after which, and it was, it was entitled, and this, I'd already got it, all right? It wasn't, I didn't make it up for Dad. I thought, and I t- said to Kim, I've got a really good sermon. I'd already told her, and I said, <laughs> it was entitled, How Much Did Christmas Cost the Father? How much did, there you go. Christmas cost God the Father everything. So it was a bit poignant with my dad sitting there. Preaching away, I think, oh goodness! And then I thought, I'm going to make an appeal for people to respond to Jesus at the end of this, and I did. And he got up and he walked to the front. 27th of December, 1992. Kate and Dave Stevens were there. I've told this story before, and he was born again. He swapped his life for a better life, an eternal one. So when I was <clears throat> in the room, it was actually the 29th of August, I've got it written down there. <clears throat> I was praying with him. <clears throat> I was praying for him, to be honest. <clears throat> and I was trying to look around saying, how do you sum up a life? Well, it certainly wasn't in the possessions he was leaving behind. We collected those in a plastic bag. But what I remember about, I remember, you know, 27th of December, 1992, my dad was born again of the spirit and he became spiritually alive. And I I always, I resolved because he suffered with dementia for the last years of his life. Now that was an affront to me because I have a dream that we will eradicate dementia from the earth. That's one of my dreams. I've stated it publicly for years and years and years. So when my dad developed it, and he developed it severely, it was an affront to that dream, which I had to live with and had had to live with. And, you know, and <clears throat> so I thought, okay. But whenever I visited him, and he lived in a care home, residential care home for the last uh, sort of, Best part of two years of his life. Um, he needed to be nursed. He was in such a severe, demented state. <clears throat> but whenever I visited him, I made sure we prayed together. And we did. 
Um, and uh, <laughs> he, he couldn't, he hadn't done much conversation, but when, when I asked him to pray, he came alive. Do you know why that is? Because he's a spiritual being. What does it mean when you say, I'm a Christian? It means you're a spiritual being. And you've got eternal life. You've exchanged an old one. And it doesn't matter how bad or how good it was. None of them are good enough or bad enough to stop God offering us eternal life. So I so I've always prayed with him, but this time I found myself because he was dying and I was holding his hand and I was thinking about it and I was praying for him and crunk, you know, chatting with him. I forgot a moment to let him pray for me. With me. Because I suddenly thought <clears throat> actually, at this moment in time, his spirit is more alive than it's ever been, probably. He is just about to enter into the fullness of his spiritual reality. His spirit was not dying. His body was. His mind was shot. His body was shot. But you know what? I thought, actually, you know what? You're a powerful spiritual human being in front of me. And (coughs) I'm going to take the opportunity that is now here to get your blessing to my life before you pass on. So I sat there holding his hand and I just put myself in a position to receive from him. And I let my... I let my dad bless me for the last time in his earthly reality. But I believed, honestly believed, that it was going to be a bigger blessing than any I'd have received up to that moment in time. More than I ever would have thought of, more than I could ever plan, because his spirit was not dying. Now this is this is true. If you are a Christian, you have eternal life. You are a spiritual being and you cannot die. You can give up your life. But you can't die, and that's that was when I was born again. I realised I could I could shed this life because the life that I was given can never be taken from me. That's what it means to be a Christian. It isn't just about this life. It's not just about comfort. It's not just about whatever we can achieve in this life. It's not about possessions. It's about the fact you will spend eternity with the living God, and we need to preach that gospel. To a billion people. <clears throat> I've, <clears throat> I was there with my dad. I have no idea how you did this thing. Because I'd never thought of it before. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> there's no manual. I think, what did you do? How did you do this? I feel, felt a bit odd, to be honest. Now, what was interesting, Kim, Kim had gone to visit my dad with me, but she'd left me alone with him 
Um, but before she left, she'd have a funny idea about actually letting him spiritually bless us. She didn't say anything because she thought he might weird me out. It wasn't the right time to weird me out with a funny idea. You know, it was <laughs> so she left and thought, oh, this is a strange idea. So when I went out and told her what I'd done, she said, you know what? That's what God told me. Isn't that amazing? He gave us the same thought at the same time, thinking, this is really weird. Kim's like, it's kind of new age, really. But it's not. Actually, I've talked to, I've talked to Christians from other cultures, particularly Iran, African culture. Oh, no, this is normal in African culture. Why? Because they're spirit, they understand their spiritual beings. African people are far more aware of their spirituality than we are. We battle against unbelief in this, this, this nation because of a denial of spirituality. So, this is what happened. I let him, I held his hand, and he, he actually was gripping my hand. He, was, he wasn't just passive. And I said, God, I'm gonna let, uh, Dad, I'm going to let you bless me right now. And something happened. I felt it. And I believe he deposited in me something that's more than I'd ever received from him before. Because he was that close to heaven at that moment in time. <laughs> he wasn't dying. And I've got a lot of scriptures I've been studying this week because it talks about death getting swallowed up in victory. The more immortal becoming, uh, the mortal becoming the immortal, the perishable becoming the imperishable. His body was gone, it was perished. He was just about to put on the imperishable one. His mortal body was going. His immortal reality was just coming through to full reality. My dad ascended. He passed on to glory. He died, and yet he didn't die. Because he couldn't. What's happened since then? Well, Tuesday was the funeral. And I wasn't sure what I felt about that. Four weeks on. <coughs> Quite a long time to wait. Um... And the good reasons for waiting that long. That's right. I'm not complaining. It was just it was a long time. <clears throat> so, and you know, my mum died coming up 15 years ago, and um, I remember her funeral. And <clears throat> I wasn't quite sure how I'd be when I saw the coffin. That's the bit that I find difficult. You know, <laughs> think funny body in there but you know what because I've been through this process I thought actually he, he isn't in there he really isn't <laughs> it's not just a, it wasn't just an idea you know you could say oh he's not there I, I knew he wasn't there and I thought oh actually this is alright it's strange funeral I thought this is alright it was emotional it was tough you know we sang goodbye but I thought actually yeah because <clears throat> on on that day when I was with him and he was giving me the blessing, I was, I was determined that it was going to fl- flow into our, our entire family. Like the patriarchs did. To mine and my sister's family, and then into this church family. My dad loved this church. 
He was here on the, when we opened this building. There were four generations of Carters here. <clears throat> I thought, I'm going to tell you as much as I can. You know what? There's going to be so much that we're not going to be able to contain it. Because it's coming out of heaven. It's not just my dad. It's my father's got... How much blessing has he got? Pressed down, overflowing. I thought, I'm going to have this all. Whatever. <clears throat> we were... <clears throat> Tuesday, the funeral. And there... This has been a very, very challenging year uh, for both sides of, of, of my family, my sister and I. And without going into all the details, some of you know some of the stuff. It's been extremely challenging. Um, probably, I would think, one of the most challenging periods of my time, not because of coronavirus, but coronavirus contributing to it. <clears throat> and we've been waiting for, for a long time for some turnarounds and answers. Trusting God, you know, but I must admit, I'm, I'm telling you, I've had, I've, had, I've had days of frustration with God. Thought, <coughs> when is this going to end? Not the coronavirus, but stuff that's going, I'm thinking, this is tough. But I still trust you. And <laughs> you better work this out for good, and it better be really good, because that's what you promised. <laughs> anyway, so we were sitting having the meal, socially distanced meal, six at a table, a few of us in a, in a uh, pub restaurant after the funeral and and there within that there was some news that came through and I won't, I'm not free to go into it uh, which was on my sister's side of the family which was a breakthrough moment that was while we were sitting there that evening when I got home I got information on our side of the family which was a breakthrough moment on our side which actually has increased during the week then without going into some details again, things that are starting to happen here at Eastgate, things, <laughs> there are some big things happening here, which I'm not at liberty to tell you all about at the moment. They will be coming. This is it, folks. Our plans, he will always exceed them because he will give us more than we ever ask or imagine. According to his power, that is at work where? Within us, by the spirit that is within us. And what I want to do now, thanks for listening, it's been a, a long time, I've got a lot more I can tell you, but I, I need to, because what I want to do now is I want to pass on this blessing to you. Now, I did this Sunday morning last week. Um, if you've had it once, you can have it again, all right? So, because what's interesting, I've had feedback since that Sunday of the dramatic impact this has had on people's lives. Um, more feedback than I've had on any sermon for quite a length of time. <clears throat> Are you a spiritual being? Yes. Are you ready to be blessed in your spirit? Yes. Well, I want you to get yourself just ready, okay? And I don't think, don't expect this to be shake, rattle and roll, fall out. I, I think it's going to be much more deep and profound. It, I, I don't care if you... Manifest, don't manifest, that's got nothing to do with, with your receiving. I just want you to put yourself in, believe that God is going to bless you right now. And you won't know the full extent of this right now, but it will start to work out in your life and through your life. But one of the big things I want us to get to place is where we are seeing the harvest of a billion souls starting to happen around this world. The church starting to shine, like we see in Isaiah 60, 61, shining. And the brightness, 
people coming to the brightness of our rising. That's what that's there in Isaiah 60, 61. It talks about people being attracted. So, Father, I release now the blessing of heaven into every life here. 